Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Ooh, a spicy question. I <laughs> because love the it. writing is sort of everything, right? Like you kind of can fix plot holes, but if the yeah. writing so some there. readers love that, and some readers are like, "But I wanted more of this." So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of a gamble. Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by award-winning, international best-selling author Lainey Swan. Hello, welcome. Hello, good to be here. Thanks for coming. Before we get onto anything else, just I have to get it out of the way. Your latest publication, which is the uh, English translation, um, The Sunset Years of Agnes Sharp, may well be my favorite cover and sprayed edge edition of any book I've seen this year. It's so pretty. It is very beautiful. I've never seen uh, these, the whole spreaders thing with these sprayed edges. That um, it wasn't really on my radar that it's a thing, but it seems to oh. be quite popular at the moment. And having my own books of it's nice. Yeah, it's so cute. It, like I love the turtles just coming up the side of the pages. It's so beautiful. Yes, and obviously the turtles quite a yeah big feature. <laughs> a significant book, part. So it's nice to have it prominently <laughs> placed. Yes, yeah, yeah. Why don't you um, tell uh, me and everyone listening a little bit about uh, about the story itself and, and what happens in the book? Well, um, the first um, scene, you, know, you encounter Agnes looking for her dentals, which has somehow gone astray, and you sort of, <laughs> she's walking through the house looking for her teeth, basically, and getting more and <laughs> more annoyed. And, and we, while she does that, uh, we, we learn a bit of about her uh, house share for the elderly, decrepit and unconventional and um, mm -hmm. unusual people, very eccentric elderly folks, very elderly. And they've decided to just forego the usual go gently route and rather do their own thing in this um, uh, house. And um, then they've got a knock at the door and there's a policeman uh, announcing that um, the neighbor has been brutally killed. And you'd usually expect that to be bad news, but actually the <laughs> Agnes and her friends are uh, quite thrilled by it after the first shock because they feel like, actually, since we've got a dead body next door, you might as well be able to pin the dead body we're currently hiding in our shed on the perpetrator as well. So that's the um, uh, set out. And from then on, they obviously to pin something on somebody, you've got to investigate and know who to pin it on. So uh -huh. they get drawn into this whole uh, murder mystery and they've got a very, very unconventional approach. Yeah. And they've got tortoise, which doesn't play a crucial um rule in terms of um, participating, but nevertheless, the heart and the center of the whole uh, house share project. Well, it, it, it's a it's a brilliant and funny premise. Um, am I right in thinking, so it, it, it's come out uh, this year, uh, the Sunset Years of Agnes Sharp, but the, was the original, the, the original version, the, which is, was in German, did it come out in 2020? 2020, yeah, so it's pre-Richard Osman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it had a different title in German. Um, yes. Um, I mean, the, the way it 
subtitles in German are quite straightforward. So you want to communicate okay. as much as possible. And, and they want to communicate of England as a setting, which is Sunset Hall. And um, um, then it's a murder mystery. So you've got murder and Sunset Hall, which is you know, very straightforward. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's sort of kind of what it says on the tin. Oh, okay. So you, so you live in, in the UK now. So you set do, yes. the book in English, but it was written yes. in your, your native tongue of German. Yes, because my German publisher wouldn't thank me for having to translate my <laughs> books. They've usually get in, you know, the perfect normal, perfectly normal German version. Yeah, yeah they wouldn't yeah. be keen on that. So, yeah. So I'm interested to talk to someone who who's had kind of a couple of books now, widely translated. Publishing is already a, a fairly slow industry in terms of how long it takes a book to sort of actually end up on shelves and be available to read. But adding in those translations uh, and the, the releases coming out in some case, I mean, in this case, three years after the initial release with the English version. Yeah. Does it feel strange to sort of be like talking about it re-releasing all over again? It, it is a bit strange because in a way, the moment I hand in a manuscript or finish work on a manuscript, or have gone through the editing process, it's sort of done. And in my head, it's sort of a finished product. And I kind of forget about it. Even having it come out in, in the original language mm. is a bit, it's already a bit obsolete in my head because I'm usually working <laughs> on something else. So um, yeah. having having to go back to something that was basically, at the moment, we're talking like three books ago. I've just finished the third um, book in this series so it's it's turned out to be a little series so we, i'm still sort of with agnes sharp which sort of helps to to keep it fresh for me because in a way it's quite interesting to revisit it and of course it's very interesting to work a on a translation because that sort of makes you see your own text with new eyes it, because in a way it gives me a chance to be a reader as well as the person who wrote it um, because uh, obviously with the German text, which I've written, I'm very, very familiar with that. In a way, I'm a bit too familiar to actually have something like a reading experience. But once you get the translation, you get the same story, but obviously the words are different, which actually makes me um, more of a reader as well. And it can be quite exciting. Okay. So I was going to ask, is it kind of weird seeing your words like reshaped into a different language? Uh, no, it's it, it's fine. And sometimes I actually prefer the English. There's some <laughs> phrases that just work really well in English and wouldn't have worked the same way. And and I work quite closely with my translator, Amy, and mm -hmm. um, I'm very happy with the outcome. And in a way, it's quite exciting. And it's also a test of your story because you, you can't sort of hide between clever words in the same way. So it is quite exciting to see what happens uh, in translation. And I always feel that although some things are lost in translation, there's always something that is found in translation as well. So, um, yeah, quite a, quite a fun process, I find. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, because I often hear when it comes to translation that people do say like, "Yeah, it's lost in the translation." That's the that's the thing you'll always hear. But yeah, I'd not I'd not thought about the fact that it's like, yeah, you find new things and there's new stuff that wasn't in the original because because it just does something different in the new language. And sometimes, um, since I live here and obviously do a lot in English and, and think in English quite a bit, sometimes I sit here in front of my German manuscript and have just a perfect English phrase in my mind, just can't use it. And then I go to, to some kind of online dictionary, try to find something similar in German. It can, it can be, there are moments when I feel really annoyed that I'm writing in German. So there's always something that... Um, works better and there's always something that doesn't work quite so well but i think as long mm. as you sort of stick to the spirit of a story um 
I mean, it's not like you know the text I write is God given or something that cannot be changed. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it's something you know. It's it's a in a way it's a random product. I mean. Obviously, I, I try to shape it, but there will always be some randomness in it, and it doesn't hurt if this randomness gets jumbled up a bit now and then. Yeah. So, what what is the process like? Like, how involved are you in the translations? As you said, this this book was translated by um, Amy Boyang, and uh, is the three bags full has also been translated. Yes, it, by um, well, the, the great old lady of German uh, English translation, Anthea Bell. It was quite <laughs> exciting, <laughs> a bit daunting. Um, um, yeah, but she did a brilliant job, I have to say. So I'm um, mm. very happy with the translation. I wasn't quite as involved. I mean, she did contact me occasionally by email. And um, and I sort of asked me what I had in mind, but obviously she was a very very experienced translator. Yeah. And she, uh, there wasn't too much of a back and forth. Um, and only later, well, I, don't know, I think a year or two after the translation had uh, been finished and finalized, I found out she was actually living more or less next door in the in an adjoining village. And you know, all the stuff that had done it was done by email. I could have easily done just by uh. jumping on my bike and cycling for five minutes, yeah. which was a bit, yeah, a bit of a shame, I suppose. So with Amy, was it much more of a back and forth? Were you much more involved in the process? Yes. Um, I mean, sort of, it, it's quite easier how it can be you know you get the text online you get all the comments and then you can sort of um, discuss it more or less using the same document so it's it's ideal and um, so I I do pick out things that I had something else in mind here and and she will ask questions and um, suggesting and sometimes there's also something that will be uh, quite obvious for the German reader which is my um, sort of initial target audience, but will sound strange to an English reader, something like little, I know, um, habits or things that I'm not used to or pastries that might be quite normal uh, fare in Germany, but might be a bit exotic uh, to the English. So you you just change a pastry rather than, you know, (laughs) um, make a big deal out of it. And I'm, I'm very flexible. I just want to, the best reading experience. And if there's, jarring stuff um, i think sticking to the original at all costs uh, doesn't really uh, work for me because um to my mind what's the most important thing is sort of creating that illusion that sort of reality for the reader and whatever it takes really to make it as vivid and as sort of unobstructed as possible yeah it's about this about the reader's experience not sort of like staying exactly true to the original yes it's not about sticking to my text because you know what's the point of sticking to my text (laughs) if it doesn't do a good job at telling a story um in in the other language so yeah very open to changes yeah it's not worth treating it as like an academic like proof or like a scientific proof of something no not at all no i mean i have to say the german publishing can be a bit like that so it's it's all about inspiration and the muse and this um full stop has to be exactly here and um so there, there can be a bit of an obsession with um um the text being sort of this um all important thing whereas i feel like mm-hmm. in the anglo-american sort of tradition of narration it's more seen as a work in progress or as a product or as a craft that sort of can be honed and can be improved upon and that's very much more my 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 line of thinking i mean i always feel like um things should be just you know sort of in a way flexible and just do their job rather than 
being that thing for its, you know, being there for its own sake. Yeah, 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 that's true. I'm interested then, um, and, and you touched on it a, a little bit before, but you've published six novels. And am I right in thinking it's just your debut, Three Bags Full, and, and this one so far that have been translated into English? Yes, that's right. Although um, there might be good news soon on the um, more translations front. So, yeah. And I, I can okay. already say that the second um, Agnes Sharp book will come out in the state, I think, next September. And I'm assuming there'll be an English publication as well in due course. Mm -hmm. So that is a certain and the rest is looking pretty likely. So, yeah exciting times amazing so y you mentioned how you know you are with a german publisher first and foremost and I i'm going to guess that you also work with a literary agent in germany i do yeah is the obviously your your market is primarily uh it starts in germany and then kind of everything else is the secondary market but you mentioned that sometimes you think of phrases in English or you want to write something in English. Is there a part of you that thinks it would be fun to maybe try writing something in English? It it might be, although I feel that um, writing in German keeps my German fresh, which is quite valuable. So after all, <laughs> it is how I, how I earn my, <laughs> my, my, my keep in the moment. So um, yeah. um, that is an advantage. And also, I'm not quite sure how good my English writing would be. It would be something completely different. And I'm tempted to give it a go. Um, on the other hand, I'm not sure how, whether I could be a judge of how the quality of what I do is the same way as I would be in German. So um, okay, yeah, if I, if I did sense. that, I would have a, a lot of um, proofread and people who help me and and there, i think there's a quite there might be an opportunity in it as well because not having it as my native language might help to avoid cliches and the pitfalls mm -hmm. of language stuff that just got drilled into at an early age but on the other hand it also opens me up to all kinds of uh, awkward things that a, a native speaker might find jarring after all so um yeah I'm, i've been thinking about it cautiously but um <laughs> as i said cautiously and yeah as long as the whole translation thing works um I'm, yeah i um, for now i'll be sticking with the translation process yeah, yeah, yeah. would you ever have you thought about doing the translations yourself i'd never attempt that because i'm too married to the german take i'm too close to it yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, i don't okay. think uh, out of a as of my my and, and besides it's a, it's a huge skill it, it's not only about translating the word you have to see the whole context and there's, there's a yeah. reason why people uh, learn it and study it and i as a english speaker as a, a second language english speaker and, yeah, you know, yeah it's I think there'd be there'd be a lot of people who do a hell of a better job. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I can be so involved in it in, in the translation process because obviously I have my ideas, and I I think I do have a certain feeling of what works for my tech, text and what doesn't. But to have the whole scope of really seeing all the options and choosing the best, um, I think that um, that's something that Amy does a lot better than me. Yeah, translation is a real art it's not yeah. just this word equals this word it's this word within the context of this sentence conjures a feeling yes and then you have to remember what you said i don't know five pages ago and whether something that um might have been different in the original text you translated the same way and then you've got a repetition there where there <laughs> shouldn't be a repetition and uh, you, you oh, just yeah. need to, it's, it's a lot of work and um and also i think 
my own text would be the last thing I would attempt translating um, sort of mm. because as I said, I'm, I'm so close to it and I, I don't, you know, there's a part of me, no matter how flexible I might seem, or how flexible I want to be, there's a part of me who wants to stick with what I wrote. Yeah. And I think that is quite detrimental to the best possible translation. And it sounds like, like you mentioned before, you, you find kind of new things within the translation. And I imagine you probably wouldn't see those as you are, like you say, like kind of very focused on the original text, but like someone yes. else coming in and translating. And then are there times when you see the translation draft and you think, oh, wow, that's a really cool, that's a really interesting way that they've done that. I really like that. Yes. And you go like, oh, this is a really good scene. It never, never <laughs> occurred to me that this worked so well. And you see it with fresh eyes. And it's quite a nice process. So in a way, I would deprive myself of that um, that effect if I, if I did attempt to translate myself. Now, so I think I'm quite, I leave things the way they are. I'm quite, quite happy with the way things are going right now. Yeah. Yeah. And like you say, it makes you feel kind of more like a reader when you're reading yes. it because it kind of breathes. And, and I always can, you know, it. so I have to sign it off. So in a way, um, that's enough control for me. And, <laughs> and, so that's, that's fine. Um, did Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Going back to the kind of like you sort of having your your main business kind of operates in Germany, but you live in the UK. When you moved to the UK, did that does that add any complications to the whole system? Not really. I mean, sort of, I'm quite a, I don't know, classic writer in the in the sense that I, I don't do much else. So you know, I, I sit in my little uh, study in front of a computer and I write stuff. I don't do an awful lot of the whole. Um, publicity things obviously if a new book comes out in germany and um, my publisher wants me to do a reading tour i'll, I'll do a reading tour i just have to you know step on a plane to do it which is yeah. not ideal but it's not a big deal either and that happened once or twice a year and apart from that it's really the same process whether i sit in berlin or in cambridge doesn't really change the whole thing so um doesn't really make that much of a difference. I mean, I think it's one of the great things about writing as a job that you really can do it wherever you want to. Yeah. And um, yeah. I mean, like you said, you were just down the road from Anthea when she was Yeah, translating. we had no idea. I thought she was somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I had this romantic vision of her being somewhere up in the Scottish Highlands, windswept <laughs> and all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, yeah. So, and some other people might think the same romantic stuff about me. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let, let's talk a little bit about your 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 process. You, you said you you are quite the traditional author. You kind of at home in in your little space with your, just writing. Um, when you when you do have these ideas, uh, when you start a new story, do you do you plan it all out, or do you just start writing and see where it takes you? I just start writing. I usually have some kind of. Um core idea something i want to mm -hmm. try out in this case it was like having some really inept very doddery people investigate <laughs> um, uh, just finding them the most inept uh, investigators possible and mm -hmm. then see where it takes you um so that was a core idea and then i usually sit down and start with a scene and uh, initially it was a scene that sort of now forms the um the first chapter that's basically i sat down and wrote that you know 
little changes, obviously, but that was more or less the, the start. And while I write, I discover my characters as well. So I don't have a very clear idea of my I don't sit down and say Agnes is um, sharp, has problems with her hip and uh, is hard of hearing. So I don't plan characters. I just go there and uh, um, start with somebody. I've got a very vague idea who, who they might be and let's just let them do stuff. It's a bit almost experimental. I just put them, drop them in a situation and see what they're going to do and how, what they're going to be up to and um, which makes it a lot of fun for me and for some reason that I don't quite understand, it works. I mean, it shouldn't be working really, but but it, it always does so far. I mean, it's very hard not to panic because you're sort of, you, you're right and you have no idea where you're going. You just basically work yourself from scene to scene. And sometimes I have ideas of what I want to happen later in the book, like like a landmark. So I want to get them to this point. I want them to be at this house um, and experience this at some point, but I have no idea how to get there. And, and it can be quite unnerving. Okay. Um, um, but so far it has always worked. You just have to hold your nerve and, and muddle through somehow. And and <laughs> in a way, I find that um, writing that way um, gives me almost reader-like experience, and it also makes it less predictable. Which for a crime novel, at some point, is going to be a good thing. And you can always go back later. You know, if you've got this yeah. character who really doesn't work, you just chuck them out later. It's not a big deal, really. It can be, yeah, the, the manuscript I just handed in up to three months before um, deadline. I didn't know who the murderer was, which was a bit um, stressful. But, you know, it turned, it wow. turned out fine. And looking at it now, <laughs> it, it feels like I had planned it on along. And even there's, there's even stuff in the text. I mean, some, sometimes I go back and, and, and add things that will sort of um, foreshadow things. Obviously, I do it. But sometimes it's just there already. And I feel like my subconscious must know a lot more about mm. things than I do because it does <laughs> it does work surprisingly well. And obviously, all the red herrings you got, at the point I write them, I don't know they're red herrings. So they tend to be on the more convincing side. Yeah. So um I think it makes for good reading experience if it works. If it doesn't work, it's just a jumble and, and it's bad. But yeah, you just have to avoid that um, stage. Yeah. So, because you because it's you know it's a kind of who done it sort of setup. When you're writing it, you're kind of allowing for every single character to potentially be, you know, the the, the murderer. Yes, the I mean within limits. I mean, there's but but in, yeah. in I keep try to keep an open mind just see where things take but me. I guess that gives you the freedom to sort of whether consciously or subconsciously put all these red herrings in because yes. the whole time you're thinking well it could be this person it could be this person it could be this yes. person and uh, until something you know very specific happens then that, that will rule out people but that's just sort of something that will happen within uh, you know the, in the course of a story and before that it's just all possible the way you know it would all be possible in life so I think in a way I try to keep it lifelike yeah only only more exciting that's really cool. Yeah, because lifelike can be pretty boring. <laughs> I'm aiming for lifelike, but still exciting. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Somehow finding a balance there. Yeah, and it's. Um, I know that a lot of crime writers. Um, I mean, I once went to this um, forum and uh, was in this discussion group with, with an Israeli crime writer, and he and we got all got the question. And you know, what, what uh, tips can you give? You know, the aspiring crime writer, and he sort of spurned off. But first thing, you really have to plan out everything from the beginning. And I was like, okay, <laughs> and I, um, yeah, I, 
I had answered completely, gave him the complete opposite. So that must have been a great help for the audience. But yeah, it's just different approaches, and they're all, uh, yeah, there's uh, many roads you can take, I suppose. Yes, exactly. There's no right way of doing it. What's um, before we get on to the uh, the final question uh, of the episode? Uh, I'd, I'd love to pick your brain, perhaps, on, on what you just mentioned. And what do you have like a piece of advice that you would give to um, aspiring authors, not necessarily crime authors, just aspiring authors who are who are trying to break into publishing? Well, um, I mean, the breaking into publishing bit is is quite a different. I mean, there's there's one part about writing the best possible story. That's sort of um, mm-hmm. important, and then sort of finding somebody who will see that story. This is the other bit, and they're, they're quite different in a way. I mean, f- writing the best possible story is just—it's a craft. So, I think it's really a question of you know, s- trusting your instincts up to a certain point and doing what you really enjoy, because I think that's the only chance the reader is going to enjoy it as well if you, you're really having a good time. Um, I mean, obviously not all the time. Not the whole writing press, press is not a uh, you know continuous party obviously there'll be moments where you have doubts or where you struggle or where you can't find the right words it's all fine but generally it should be a enjoyable process because it's i think it's if it's torture from beginning to end there's a fair chance it might be torture for the reader as well and <laughs> unless that's what you're aiming for for some reason um that might not be the right thing mm-hmm. so um yeah i've heard that's how Charlie Brooker writes the Black Mirror episode. I don't know if this is true, but I was told that he writes the Black Mirror episodes standing up, walking around so that he's uncomfortable and that comes through in the (laughs) writing. It's not my method, although it might be. It depends on what you're aiming for, obviously. (laughs) And since my my book sort of, there's got a lot of humor, there's a lot of, um, I mean, it might might be black, but it's still, there's a lot of funniness in them and and for that i need a certain you know if i don't find it funny if i don't enjoy it you know what chance do i have so um and you know likewise if you if you whatever you want to write um so make sure that it really feels right to you i think that's the only thing you can really um stick there's no one method that works for everyone so it's, it's more about trusting your instincts to a certain degree but then there's the whole other um long road which means finding a publisher and that is quite a different story obviously and i think my my core i had an easy ride i have to say so i'm not terribly experienced with all the things that can go wrong because basically i um i wrote my first book and um found an agent which was a crucial bit and i had a few of of offering it to publishers and then i'm getting rejected which is normal which was perfectly what I expected uh, to happen, so that that was normal. But then, from then on, then I found this agent, and then the unexpected started to happen, which is that uh, several publishers wanted it, and there was a bidding war, and there's and all all that in my first book. So, yeah, it's, it's I think find an agent is, is solid advice. A fine agent you, you feel like um, really loves the book and is uh, ready to sort of work for it and to put up a good word for it and not just sort of, you, you want enthusiasm. What you're looking for is somebody who really gets it and enjoys it. Um, and yeah. apart from it, you need a shed load of luck, I suppose, which is hard to find. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think not yeah, getting yeah, rejection, yeah. not taking but rejections too much too hard because rejection is a default mode of the industry. It's not necessarily something personal mm-hmm. all the time. So yeah, yeah, it's just it's a normal neutral. response, and yeah, it shouldn't get you down too much. I feel yes, because. 
there is a lot of luck involved, but I do like to think that the more you put yourself out there, the more opportunities you give yourself to yes. be lucky. And and also, I mean, obviously, if nobody likes it, it might be worth revisiting the book and seeing whether you, <laughs> this, you know, can do a better job. That I'm not saying yeah. that once you've written something, you have to stick with it at all costs. But yeah, likewise, don't be res- discouraged because some people don't like it because there will always be people who don't like your stuff. It's, you know, that's the way mm-hmm. the w- world works. Hang in there. Yeah. Hang in there. I think there's a lot of brilliant advice uh, in that, and uh, that's uh, hopefully there's a lot for people to to think about when they're where, who is listening to this. And that brings us on to what is always the final question of every episode, which is: if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would you want it to be? Right. Well, that's obviously a very cruel and mean question, and I, <laughs> I thought about it a bit, and um, no matter what book I thought of. There's, there's, there's two problems. There's A, if I already read it, I sort of already know it. I know it's good, but I've already read it once, so that's not ideal. Um, if I don't know it yet, there's a fair chance that I open I feel like it's just not for me, so that's not great either. <laughs> um, so I thought um, it's a bit of a sneaky thing to do, I suppose. Something like the Romans of the Three Kingdoms in the original Chinese wow. with all the with all these stuff, I need to look up the characters and work my way through. I mean, that should keep me busy for a while, I suppose, something like that. It's, um, yeah. Wait, so you'd be literally learning a language? Yes, so there'd be additional well, benefit. I mean, part of it. <laughs> and if I ever res- get rescued by the Chinese, they'd be appalled with my lack of pronunciation. But yeah. at least I could point at signs and <laughs> tell them I want water or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I think just in, in terms of keeping my mind busy, that's the that's the best thing I came up with. The alternative would have been something like a, an empty book I could, and, and a pen and something I could yeah. Phil, but knowing myself, I'd probably, if the resource of pen and uh, paper was limited, I'd never actually get myself to put something down on paper. So <laughs> it would remain empty as a, as a hopeful blank page. Um, so that's not yeah. really ideal for me either. So yeah, big project ahead. That's a clever choice, I, I think. And The Romance of the Three Kingdoms, as far as I'm aware, is an extremely long saga. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so. Um, yeah. <laughs> If you did manage to deduce uh, how to read it, you would you would have a well, lot. Well, I would as well. need I would definitely need some sort of resource material. I mean, I couldn't just sit there <laughs> with the um, characters and just make it up. I mean, I need some yeah some uh, some good dictionary type things to to look things up. But yeah, that'd be that'd be a big project. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be probably wave through the first twenty-five rescuers because I'm not quite done yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just give me a few yeah. more months, actually. Thanks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's a cool, very creative answer. Um, very excited to, to to know if you ever would manage to deduce it all and be able to not speak the language, but you would at no. least be able to read it. Yeah, it's a question <laughs> of time, it. I suppose. Yeah, yeah motivation, yeah, yeah, yeah. which would be there if there's nothing else around. So I'm quite optimistic. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, um, Eleni, for coming on the podcast and telling us all about your, your writing and your experiences in publishing and, and everything. It's been really cool chatting. Thank you. And for anyone wanting to keep up with what Eleni is doing, you can follow her on Instagram at underscore Eleni Swan. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. You can support the show on Patreon. And for more bookish chat, check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again to Eleni and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. 
Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.